1: After many days of travel, I found myself in a small village. Its sole redeeming feature was a monument that had been built during the Great Darkness. The only clue as to the statue's purpose or station had been inscribed upon its base, Mother of the Stillborn. It had been raised by unknown persons for unknown reasons, and that fact hadn't stopped the development of various secretive cabals in her honor. Another dream that was showing promise. It has been alleged that some persons possessed of vague dream memories from their time within the Great Darkness recalled the presence of a strange, monstrous woman who wandered the skies above the spaces where stillbirths were about to occur. This demonic creature would catch the tiny souls as they spiraled towards the void, and with each one, her womb would grow even larger. After the requisite number of stillborn souls had been accrued, she would give birth to an ancient child, a gray wizened heir to the boneyards of the world, who would preside over the courts of the dead from upon a throne raised from tombstones. I walked to the secluded meadow where this goddess resided. She had her frail arms clutched around her stagnant womb, and she framed herself with her featherless wings. The approach to the towering statue was crowded with small humps of piled dirt, each one marked with the brown blossoms of baby's breath. The meadow had become a burying place for tiny hopes, where grief-stricken mothers came to offer their lost children one last chance at life, or on life. The sable statue had become the single grave marker for throngs of the dead. I've never visited her before. Yet I always wondered if a relationship existed between this mother and the one that presided over the dead world. Once I stood before her graven image, I could clearly see that no such connection existed. This was a mother who served a purpose, one that made her among the darkest functionaries of forgotten dreams. I stood in the meadow for quite some time, soaking in the statue's shadow. There was something about her face that reminded me of my own mother. It brought back a memory of a near-dead twilight, where lingers the first clear memory I have of her. I remembered her pale face emerging from the red-rimmed darkness. She was like a child born tonight, just a shadow swathed in cooling blood. Her smile was soft like a last breath, and her touch was the gossamer of fading dreams. Yet it was her eyes I remembered clearest. They were so black, they shamed the night that surrounded them, and when they looked upon me, I was plunged beneath the lightless waters that fed from an endless sea of haunted primal night. All of this, from only the pools that floated serenely above her delicate cheeks. At some point in my reverie, I think I might have reached out and touched the hem of the anthracite dress carved onto the statue in front of me. I might have spoken a name. It was a name that drifted between worlds, lost to both my mother told me never to remember it. I didn't. I fell asleep at the foot of the statue and dreamed that my mother stood where the statue had in waking. She gestured to the tree line, and when I looked to where she conducted my gaze, I could see the pale children standing in the darkness, staring at me. Behind them, Hanging by chains from the branches of hundreds of pine trees were large cages, each one large enough to house only a single occupant. I knew the names of each child gathered in the darkness. I wanted to go to them, but the air seemed to thicken and my movements became heavy and slow. I wanted to say something important, but only silence escaped my mouth. Before long I sensed something approaching beyond the trees, and I heard the baying of many wolves. When I turned back from whence the wolf song had emerged, the children had vanished, and my mother had been replaced by the statue. The death goddess smiled as the wolves washed over me like a carnivorous wave, tearing the flesh of my mind from the bones of an old dream. It was night when I awoke, as if while I nightmared the shadow of the statue had swallowed the whole of the meadow and the pine forest beyond it. The goddess standing above me had lost her sinister smile, having gained a faraway stare that likely settled upon invisible worlds, places filled with the exuberant laughter of lost children, thrilling to games that only the dead may play. A third woman entered my thoughts, Black Molly Patience. I had no idea where to find her. She roamed across and under the night as free and light as a whisper devouring those who appealed to whatever strange appetites controlled her. Yet like the deathly being carved from coal and shadow, she was not without a following of faithful. I would start with them. The next city I arrived at was hardly in need of a name. It was untroubled by any meaningful distinction that might merit a label. I roamed its benighted streets, coiling lazily around structures of seemingly identical nature. If it weren't for the numbers carved into the rotting wood and crumbling stone of their facades, there would be no telling them apart at all. The few people I observed were as iterative as the buildings, and I wondered if for purposes of identification, numbers hadn't been carved into them as well. The city was either remarkably brave, or so emptied of anything approaching common sense, that it found its dangerous proximity to New Victoria an acceptable sacrifice for the fine view of the distant mountains. Yet, for whatever reason, the city appeared largely untouched by the plague of sleep, as I detected none of the late night screaming and moaning that so often preceded the so-called disease. Before long, I found my way to the city's Museum of Darkness, as I've heard them called. Once I broke into the building, the place appeared to be little more than a disordered and forgotten repository for local relics of the Great Darkness, likely preserved in an effort to understand the bygone event. I preferred to believe they were conserved, unconsciously, as booting talismans from which to call down the darkness once again, and perhaps, if we're lucky enough, next time we'll be allowed to exit this darkness with our memories intact. I sorted through hundreds of articles fashioned from solid madness before I alighted upon what I sought. In a box marked, Monsters. I recovered a yellowed newspaper clipping that tracked the antics of those individuals who had come to be referred to by certain medical professionals as neo-psychotics, persons who had emerged from the great darkness governed by inhuman wit and savagery. It was as though they had evolved in mind and body to enjoy the comforts of hell. What the professionals never discovered was that certain populations of these neo-psychos were fervent worshippers of black Molly. While most of Miss Patience's activities were well documented, I wanted to see where it all began. I wanted to read it from the first papers to ever outline her darkness in dying ink and decomposing paper. It was here I would find my next destination, one of her early homes beneath the earth, where I could learn more about my quarry and introduce myself to her devotees. The train station where I waited was so run down I could scarcely believe that any train still called upon it. The complete lack of any other persons did little to bolster my confidence in finding a much needed ride. So, when the train made its scheduled stop just outside the abandoned city of Churchstone, exactly as foretold by the travel guide I had stolen, I was happily surprised. I stepped aboard and scanned the interior of the vehicle. It was oddly lean, as if the impoverished number of travelers had caused the car to narrow from its unsatisfied hunger. I made my way to a darkened corner and took my seat, discovering that the dirty windows around me were spectacularly resistant to the sun's invading rays. All too often the light overemphasizes the world beyond its more interesting nuances, eradicating shadows and denying mystery its purchase upon the darkness. According to my travel guide, the train had been repurposed for the transportation of the dead, carrying them from various cities to a massive burning yard created during the numerous plagues leading up to the great darkness. The interior had recently, and rather smartly, been returned to its original intent of transporting the living. Tired and grey, the train seemed as if it were a manifest in physical memory vacillating between those horrible places that had most painfully impressed themselves into the flesh of its recollection. The car I occupied was empty, save for one other man. He carried with him only a vintage camera apparatus, the kind that sat atop a tripod of crane-like wooden legs that appeared carved entirely from the darkest wood and the most lusterless of metals. He occasionally looked over at me, "'smiling like a mortician after a disaster. "'His smile was filled with teeth so large "'it seemed cartoonishly overdeveloped. "'I speculated that he might have boarded the train "'somewhere in the vicinity of New Victoria. "'Yet he kept to himself "'and soon disappeared after the next stop, "'somewhere in the middle of the woods "'and long after the sun had vanished. "'After the man and his antique camera departed, "'the darkness seemed to mourn his absence, "'as the shadow seemed appreciably less giddy "'and spirited than before.' I tried to imagine what view the bizarre cameraman wished to photograph, so far out in the middle of the shunned wilderness. The rhythm of the moving train was beyond soothing. The blurred sights frozen into momentary cohesion by the cold light of the moon made me think of an old movie reel spinning off poorly captured images of places I'd always wanted to visit but never had the time. Palewood, Grey Witch, the Covenant Woods, I even spied a crooked rooftop or two perhaps of the darkly fabled town of Devil's Clay. The pale sights disappeared beneath the darkness of passing clouds, and I determined it was time to sleep. I quickly discovered that it was easy to come by after reclining deeply into the aged leather seat. I believe facilitating dreamful slumber ought to have been listed as a major point in the train's enumerated attractions. Immediately after I had fallen beyond the waking world, I felt a strangeness come over me, as if it were a thing under pressure that only sleep could discharge. It seemed I was standing in a crowd that had yet to form, an incipient and inevitable gathering governed by forces greater than those that twirled the seasons in a circle. I could also hear the approach of hungry things loping and scraping along a predestined path that would eventually bring us all together. The inevitability of this meeting initially irritated me, as I rather disliked the truncation of those liberties that made manifest a mystery hewn from wandering dreams and dead dust. I found myself very much wanting to resist the urge to blend with this congregation of hungry things. Yet it took no great amount of deliberation for the thought of such a congregation of blood and shadow to effectively win me over, and I was once again eager to participate in the deathly games to come. As soon as my mind drifted beyond the pool of cosmic currents, it began moving towards the dream. Yet when it reached the place where my dream should have been, then there was something else there, a changeling of sorts. It looked as if my own dream had been stolen and somehow replaced with the nocturnal visions of another. I am a dreamer of no small skill, and I know my own dreams. This was not one of them. I dreamed I was in a house. A rather large and lavish one. I was looking through a window, watching a bird take its meal from a tree feeder. A noise the likes of which I'd never heard spread across the sky, blackening every bit of sound it happened upon, until all I could hear was the music of ripening madness. Then I was running through the streets, my naked feet slapping against the trembling earth. Everything was changing. The shadows were yawning open, becoming doors. The world began screaming, the collective scream mixed with the music of madness, together becoming a lone instrument, contributing only a few notes to the final and damning opus of the murdered world. I ran into the deep woods, fleeing madly the sounds of a once familiar world that was twisting into new shapes, breaking apart old habits, changing into the most terrible things imaginable. I penetrated deeper into the forest, the very branches of trees and scrubby bodies of thickets coming alive with demonic vitality. I stumbled through the mouth of a massive cave and waded blindly into the deep moist darkness. There were other things cowering in there with me, and we huddled together, shivering. The dream abruptly changed, I was still underground but at a different time, and I was moving at a brisk but decidedly measured pace despite the utter lack of light. There were other things surrounding me in the darkness. Whatever they were, they belonged to me, body and soul. My retinue and I moved beyond the underground rooms of the earth and entered the moonlight. When I looked upon the moon, its light pouring across my body, I beheld weird shapes stretching dark and massive across its face. Some of the intervening objects were moving. Others held stone still and became the jutting towers of incredible cities. And still others possessed an enormity that suggested extra dimensions to their composition that hurt to dwell long upon. My pack and I made our way across searing sheets blackened by organic tars that exuded the smell of a slaughterhouse. Depressed into the road as if floating with the coagulated blackness, appeared human faces that sometimes raised ever so slightly above the pavement. Their eyes were blinking, and by some despicable and unseen enterprise, the slashes of their lips were whispering. I cared nothing for what they said. I knew the faces to be, for all practical purposes, quite dead. I passed into the shadows of a forest tangled and thick with ribboning lengths of barbed wire. I ignored the struggling forms, ensnared by the toothsome coils, trapped like helpless prey by unseen mechanical spiders that stalked the webs of bloody, serrated steel. Finally we came upon our destination, a gigantic factory. I lifted my gaze to leer at the massive smokestack, throwing smoke-swathed flames at the already much afflicted moon. We entered the structure by way of an untended door. Something monstrous attempted to rise up against us as we poured inside. We fell upon the faceless thing en masse, and I joined my rapacious companions in the eating of it. We were almost a single entity as we transversed the lower floors of the building, seeking the rooftop. up. Outrageous shapes attempted to block our path, but we were a biblical flood that could not be stopped or slowed. What living things we washed over we left behind as mere scattered teeth and bone. The last door fell to us as we surged onto the rooftop. There, squatting atop its smoldering smokestack throne, we beheld a terrible creature. It rose from its seething seat at our approach and tried to burn my mind to ash with its vulgar presence, an unapologetic existence that flouted common sense and cosmic law. I shot back with roars from my legion of monsters. I would become no less a violation of nature than the being standing before me, and I was pleased to seize the opportunity to demonstrate that fact. The excitement from the impending clash woke me from my sleep of stolen dreams, and I immediately pondered, if I was dreaming someone else's dream, then who was dreaming mine? The answer was of course quite obvious, and I was quite curious over what part of my dream Miss Patience would enjoy the most.